Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, Frederick Buechner says as a prophet, a prophet is one who's never invited to dinner for the second time. (laughs) And there's good reason why. They're tough. They're unrelenting. They have a word to speak and they speak it until they they drop. And, And Amos is perhaps one of the toughest, most acerbic of all prophets. Maybe because he was uh, a tree guy. He was one who trimmed trees. He was in the southern kingdom. And, but God called on him to go to the northern kingdom where King Jeroboam, who was just sort of a, well, he was spoiled and all of that. And he was, he was a syncretist. He was working both sides of the street at the same time trying to worship God and then saying, well, we can also worship Baal. And um, perhaps coming out with a narrative about being accepting and all of that sort of thing. Well, the, the, the prophet Amos said, uh-uh, there's only one God and these people are to worship just this one God. And because this one God is not being worshipped, because this one God is not being acknowledged, all kinds of injustices are pouring forth. So at one point he, he speaks to the, to the wealthy women of Israel and he says, Oh, you cows of Bashan, <laughs> you drink your wine out of bowls and you oppress the poor. So I don't know if I'd have him over for dinner either a second time. <laughs> but his word comes to us and the prophetic word is not a word given to an institution. 20, 20 or so years ago, many in the church tried to declare that it was a prophetic institution. No, prophets are individuals. And they bear a burning word in their souls. And Jeremiah declared it was a fire burning in his bones and he could not contain it. So the Lord God every now and then raises up prophets. Hear the word of God as it comes to one of those prophets from Amos. Now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. Don't worship the pagan altars at Bethel. Don't go to the shrines at Gilgal or Beersheba. For the people of Gilgal will be dragged off into exile and the people of Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Come back to the Lord and live. Otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire devouring you completely. Your gods in Bethel won't be able to quench the flames. You twist justice, making it a bitter pure, bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. It is the Lord who created the stars, the Pleiades and Orion. He turns darkness into morning and day into night. He draws up water from the oceans and pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is his name. With blinding speed and power, 
He destroys the strong, crushing all their defenses. How you hate honest judges. How you despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depths of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So those who are smart keep their mouths shut, for the time is evil. Do what is good. Run from evil so that you may live. I hate all your show of pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So the word of the prophets come oftentimes to shock, to distress, to awaken. And so that word comes, and it is a word that is consistent throughout Scripture about the need for us to be attendant to the least of our brothers and sisters. That we be aware of the needs of those who are oppressed. Not too long ago, I watched the movie Black Klansman. The lead actor is uh, um, Denzel Washington's son. Denzel Washington is a very devout Christian and uh, very active in his church in Los Angeles. And as I saw this unfold, it was Spike Lee who was the director. And I got mad because the white supremacists were all associated with Christianity. And the, the movement against white supremacy was all associated with just political power. And one scene in particular was, was particularly upsetting to me. It showed this white supremacist and his wife snuggling together in their bed behind a Bible that was on their table. And these were people who were full of hatred. And they were, they were vile in their anti-this people group and that people group, anti-Semitic, anti-black, anti-you name it. And, they and Spike Lee associated the Christian faith with that, ignoring the reality of history. Think of Will, William Wilberforce in the 18th century who was the pointy head of the spear to overthrow slavery and the slave trade in Great Britain. Wilberforce writes, and this is a, a, a book that he wrote, or a treatise that he wrote, to the, the higher classes of Britain. He was talking to them about real Christianity. 
He said, let true Christians then with becoming eagerness strive in all things to recommend their profession and to put to silence the vain scoffs of ignorant objectors. Let them boldly assert the cause of Christ in an age when so many who bear the name Christians are ashamed of him. And let them consider that radical benefit restoring the influence of religion and of raising the standard of morality. God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. William Wilberforce. And his work inspired the abolitionist movement in the United States, which was centered in the church. The abolitionist movement was that which moved upon this nation to recognize that we cannot own another human being. That the slave trade was a was a deep and harsh injustice. And of course it goes on into the 20th century. Martin Luther King, who was a prophetic voice likewise, was centered in the church. His whole ministry was one that called forth a continuation of the liberation of a people who were continued to be oppressed. The church, our faith, has been at the center of virtually every movement that liberates people. There is no biblical warrant, none, for the enslavement of another human being. There is no biblical warrant for defining someone else of whatever race or nationality or whatever it may be as being less than. There's no Christian warrant for any of that. And so every now and then, a prophet rises up and they're mad. <laughs> and they, they speak it. They say it. And they, they come forth and, and sometimes they embarrass us because of the harshness and clarity of their words. And sometimes it needs to be understood within a larger context, but yes, they call to us the importance of our responsibility as Christians. Call it duty. Hmm. But if it's required and we do it, well, it's almost so what? If it's required of us and we do it, well, that's, that's good. One might be expected to do their duty. But where is, where is the grace in mere duty? Where is the, where is the, the beauty? Not that there isn't beauty in duty, but sometimes those who simply fulfill their responsibilities are just doing that. They're fulfilling their responsibilities. And, and yet, when there is a giving of oneself, then we see the beauty. Then we see the beauty of one who is gracious. 
Now think about God and his graciousness to us. If it's his duty to forgive us, there's no grace in that. God is just being God. If it's his responsibility to do what he's supposed to do, then it's almost so what? Duty yields beauty when it is infused with grace. You know, I just caught John Summerfield in the eye. John went to Honor Flight two weekends ago. And Dan Bruce also did, but I don't see Dan here this morning. But they go as men and women who have done their duty. But then when they go and they see the monuments of Washington, D.C., they see something far beyond mere fulfillment of duty. They see those who gave of themselves the last great measure of devotion. And they're overcome because it's, it's beautiful. Overcome with the beauty of God's people who gave of themselves in such a way as to sacrifice for others. At the core of our faith is that we follow the example of Christ whose bleeding feet we track with our lives. And so fulfillment of duty, yes, that's what the apostles are calling forth. Calling upon us to do what we're supposed to do. Think about the poor. Be aware of them. Care for them. The poor are always with you, Jesus said. And we are never relieved of that responsibility. No matter where we are in the economic ladder. No matter where we are with our relationship with one another. Sometimes the poor are those who simply have had a breakdown in their health. And that we are responsible for them. We are to reach out to them. We always are to be aware of and to call forth our own hearts to be there for one another. It's our duty. But even more than that, is to give of self in such a way that it reflects the grace of God given through us. Just yesterday, I was coaching again, lost by one point <laughs> for the first time in almost a year we lost a game tougher league this time but I was touched the other team had a young woman and um, she did some kind of a foul up I didn't actually see it she saw this and then then afterwards her father came up to her and she was crying and she he gave her a big hug and and so I love you, honey. And, and she said, oh, dad, you have to say that. You're my dad. You know how that goes. You've heard that before. You have to say that. You're my dad. But he kissed her again. Yes, he is her dad. And there is beauty 
in the duty, but how much more when grace is given. And I was so, I was so moved by this young father and his daughter. Beauty. And so we, in our own hearts and lives, have to do that which is necessary to make ourselves attendant, aware, sensitive to the needs of others. In a sense, we have to not just sort of join a picket line someplace and be angry and throw stuff. I'm not even sure that that kind of activity does much good if those who are engaged in such efforts haven't put their own house in order. We act out of a particular character in our relationship with God and with one another. It doesn't make a lot of sense for the church to be getting up and calling for this or that political action when the church itself doesn't have its own act together, when its own house is not taken care of. So we have to pay attention to our lives. And I believe that means some of the most fundamental aspects of our Christian experience, that we repent of our sins. We read our Bibles. And we enter into fellowship with one another, genuine fellowship. And we we find ways that are appropriate to us, ways that we can serve. Remember as a kid when when mom got mad, and there were plenty of occasions for mom to get mad in our house, perhaps in your own homes. (laughs) And moms were always justified. I remember mom getting mad at dad, and consequently dad got mad at us. Well, you kids do nothing around here, you know, he'd say. But when mom got mad, what would we do? Maybe you did the same thing. We'd start cleaning. (laughs) We'd pick up. We'd empty the dishwasher. We would do stuff. We'd start cleaning the house. Maybe in response to the word of the prophet, because they come in mad, we start cleaning up. We make sure that what we are doing is loving. What we are doing is sensitive. What we are doing is caring. That we listen first. And that we acknowledge the importance of the other no matter their station in life, and that we love. Ultimately, the word of the prophet has that as its end. The words of the prophets, all of them together, funnel into the life of Christ, who lived for us, died for us, rose for us, and reigns in power for us. The embodiment, the incarnation of love itself. Will you bow with me in prayer? And so, Lord, may we be a people that reflect a larger reality. Your love at work within us. 
the grace that you have given that empowers us to be graceful people, to be caring, setting aside all pride so that we might be your children. We ask for your power to do so, even in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.